Thanks for being a part of the Fearless Army. Drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and when you do, ask me a question in the comments. Each week, we'll compile your best questions and answer them on air. with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Look at me. I got a sport jacket on and a nice button-up shirt. Look how professional I look. I just came from the barber shop. Look at my haircut. I dyed my hair, I don't know, over the weekend or I can't remember when I did it, but maybe it was last week. I can't remember. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the best of me before Thanksgiving. I'm all dressed up because when I say today's show is going to be amazing, I mean it's going to be amazing, perhaps uh, the best show uh, we've done here at Fearless, at least that's my hope, we'll, we'll find out, I'll let you be the judge. Uh, what we're going to do today I think is going to be very important and it obviously will connect to our overall narrative and it'll hammer some points that we've been making on this show uh, from time to time. Very important discussion today. That's why I need you, and I know I, I start off this all the time, it's critical, critical. Those of you listening over Apple, that you give me the five-star rating, it's critical. It's important that you write a review, particularly of this show. I wanna hear your feedback. Also email me about today's show, Fearless at Blaze Show at gmail.com. Uh, if you're watching over YouTube, I need you to start pounding the like button, uh, hit the subscriptions, hit the notifications. Today's show is very important and we want as many people uh, to see it and witness it. And that's why I'm dressed up. That's why I look so sharp because today's show is important and when people experience it and hear it, I want them to say, hey man, Whitlock looks halfway important today. And so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm mostly, Josh, and I wore a sweatshirt into the office today and had no trials. Like, ah, this sweatshirt, I can't wear on the show. It looks too bummy. It's something I work out in. It's something I sleep in. It's something that, you know, I probably have, you know, polished shoes with. And I couldn't wear it on the show. And so I said, let me change. Let me put on some of these clothes I keep here at the studio. And so here I am. Uh, today's show, I just want to give you a little preview uh, before I get into this massive fire starter, uh, Shamika Michelle and uh, Delano will be on to help me unpack this. Uh, we're hoping to have a special guest, but I'm not a thousand percent sure, so I'm not gonna talk about that. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, George Floyd. And we're gonna talk about the new documentary that came out this week, uh, The Fall of Minneapolis. And it puts a entirely uh, new light on the George Floyd situation, a new light to people that are casuals and haven't followed the case closely. Uh, for people that have been honest, it's really not a new light, but it's packaged in a way that it's irrefutable that uh, we saw a travesty of justice as it relates to George Floyd, Derek Chauvin, and the three other police officers who 
are now incarcerated and in prison uh, for being on the scene of the death and the overdose and the heart attack of George Floyd or whatever happened with George Floyd. Uh, four policemen in Minneapolis are in prison, riding away in prison because George Floyd uh, liked to use drugs and was in poor health and a bunch of other things that we'll get into and unpack uh, during this show. But I I'm gonna put it under a bigger umbrella about how uh, George Floyd and Trayvon Martin and many, Michael Brown and many of these other, Ahmaud Arbery, all of these guys are a part of a political agenda and a political narrative that's being promoted by the left and how the emotions, particularly of black people, are being toyed with to drive a political movement and to really, just quite frankly, drive the destruction of America and the uprooting of our Constitution and freedoms and rights that we have taken for granted, the left, the Marxists, the, the people that want to bring America down, China, Russia, the Middle East, wh whoever, the people that, they're using the emotions and the narrative of anti-black oppression to tear down this country and black people are signing off on it under the foolish perception, uh, under the foolish belief that the tearing down of this country is somehow gonna be good for us. It, it's retarded. And so I'm going to connect Trayvon Martin and George Floyd and a couple of documentaries and, and really try to bring home a message that we've been hammering on this show uh, for several years. Before I get into the unpacking, uh, I want to uh, start off by talking about our great friends at Preborn. You guys know how I feel about Preborn. You guys know uh, that Preborn is the best organization supporting our worldview that life begins at conception and that the belief that life begins at conception is critical to the proper mindset to support life outside of the womb. And, and we know as fearless soldiers, we recognize that it is our duty to support the belief that life begins at conception. And it's not even a belief, support the fact that God knitted us in the womb, knew us in the womb, that, that life begins at conception. That's part of the fearless mindset. Preborn supports this by giving expectant mothers who are considering abortion, they provide them with an ultrasound. The ultrasound shows the woman uh, the image in the womb, lets the woman hear the heartbeat of that baby in the womb. Once she's provided that ultrasound, she is more than twice as likely to choose life. Life is God's greatest gift. We support life. We support preborn because we know the money that we give to preborn actually goes to paying for ultrasounds and supporting that baby through the pregnancy and through the first two years of life outside of the womb. There's two ways to give to preborn. You can hit pound 250 and say the keyword baby, pound 250, keyword baby, or you can do it the way that I love to do it, uh, 
Go to preborn.com slash fearless. That's preborn.com slash fearless. Whether you give $28, $2,800, $28 million, it all goes to supporting our belief that life begins at conception and that life is precious inside that womb and that the people that believe the opposite and are out in the streets protesting and demanding abortion on a ban on demand. That mindset is what's at the heart of all the corruption, all of the, 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 the child sacrifice, the demonic energy that's overtaking this country starts with the belief that life doesn't begin at conception, that aborting a baby is, is health care child-affirming care, whatever. But anyway, need you guys uh, to support Preborn. It's what we do as Fearless Soldiers. Send me an email when you do, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Thank you. Now let's get to this fire starter and this conversation that we'll have today with Shamika and Delano and I want to have with you all. Uh, be patient with me here. And we're going to start not with the new George Floyd documentary, the fall of Minneapolis, which is amazing. I watched it twice yesterday. It's amazing. We'll get there. I'll break that down. But I want to start where this all began. And it began in 2012 with Trayvon Martin. And Trayvon Martin was a hoax. No different than Jussie Smollett was a hoax. Trayvon Martin and and. George Zimmerman shooting him. We have been lied to. And there's a documentary that came out three years ago, a guy named Joel Gilbert put it out, that exposes the lie of the Trayvon Martin hoax that George Zimmerman actually acted in self-defense and that not only that, the big smoking gun of the, the, the documentary called The Trayvon Hoax, the big smoking gun is that whole case against George Zimmerman, which he was found not guilty of, but that whole case was predicated on this alleged girlfriend of Trayvon Martin who was on the phone with him in the seconds and the minutes before George Zimmerman shot him. Ben Crump pulled this alleged girlfriend out of a hat and had a tape of her uh, repeating what she said she heard in the, in the moments, the seconds right before Trayvon Martin was shot by George Zimmerman. Joel Gilbert put together a documentary that exposed the fact that Ben Crump and the prosecution and the police knew that the girlfriend they put on the witness stand, that the girlfriend that they used to drive the case against George Zimmerman was a woman that Trayvon Martin never met, did not know, did not speak to, had no connection to her. She was an 18-year-old retarded person, and I'm sorry for using that word, but those are the facts, and I can only speak factually, named Rachel Gentel. That's who they pretended that this learning handicapped person who I, I believe at one point in this documentary, they, she was like a 21 year old eighth grader or, or, or I, I just, 
severely limited intellectually. No connection to Trayvon Martin. They passed her off as Trayvon's girlfriend. She's 250, 270 pounds. Trayvon Martin's girlfriends were hot and in shape and 16 years old, younger than him. That was his pet. Anyway, this guy tracks down the actual girlfriend. Her name is Diamond Eugene. She was on the phone with Trayvon Martin. She did not want to participate in the lie that was being told. And so uh, Sabrina Fulton, Trayvon Martin's mother, uh, Tracy Martin, Trayvon Martin's father, uh, Ben Crump, the prosecution team, the police, all knew that they couldn't get Diamond Eugene to say what they want, and so they invented and talked a mentally limited person into playing the role of Trayvon Martin's girlfriend and lying. And I'm just saying, you gotta watch this documentary. It's amazing. And then at the, I don't, well, I'm gonna blow the ending for you. It's been out three years, but you, go watch this. It turns out that the Rachel Gentile, and I, I sent y'all, there's a side-by-side -side picture, I think, on Twitter of Rachel Gentile and, and I think Diamond Eugene. She's Diamond Eugene's in a bathing suit and Rachel Gentile. Just the, the dichotomy between the two, that they could pass one off as his girlfriend, even though she's 300 pounds or 250 pounds, mentally handicapped, and this Diamond Eugene who ends up going to college, who's smoking hot, who totally different personality. But what's amazing is these two are half sisters. They have the same mother. They didn't live in the same house, but they had the same mother. It's an amazing documentary. The whole Trayvon deal is a hoax. I want to play you, though, the very beginning of this Trayvon Martin hoax documentary, and it helps put into context how this connects to George Floyd and what we've all experienced over the past decade. Play the clip. I started looking into the Trayvon Martin case because of the 2018 Florida governor's race. The Democrat candidate, Tallahassee Mayor Andrew Gillum, interested me because he seemed like such a friendly, charismatic guy. Hey everybody, it's uh, Andrew Gillum here. Mayor of Tallahassee joins you now. Mayor Gillum, welcome to Meet the Press Daily. What's up, Chuck? Uh, go Canes, man. But he had a surprisingly radical agenda. So I want y'all to join me on this mission. Together we're gonna take this state back, flip Florida blue, and flip this country blue in 2020. Gillum shocked his more mainstream Democrat opponents. Andrew Gillum seized the nomination for governor despite being third in the polls just a week ago. And then lost by only a hair to Republican Ron DeSantis in the general election. What caught my attention were comments Andrew Gillum continued to make during the campaign about the shooting of Trayvon Martin. We know, certainly in my state, in the case of Trayvon Martin, in the same state where Trayvon Martin was killed uh, for wearing a hoodie, uh, quite frankly. 
Then it became about the Stand Your Ground law. We can look no further than the situation between Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman. And because of Stand Your Ground laws, he was able to get away with it. I had followed the Zimmerman case closely enough to know that virtually everything Gillum said was wrong. The case had nothing to do with Stand Your Ground and everything to do with traditional self-defense. Mr. Zimmerman has made the statement of self-defense. Until we can establish probable cause to, um, to dispute that, we don't have the grounds to arrest him. What, I wondered, was the reason for Gillum to bring up Trayvon Martin so much? Doing some superficial internet research, I saw that Sabrina Fulton, Trayvon's mother, was a big supporter of Gillum. He's got my vote. And the truth is, is you know what, I'm black. I've been black all my life. So far as I know, I will die black. How did Gillum's racially charged political narrative work so well? I'm not calling Mr. DeSantis a racist. I'm simply saying the racists believe he's a racist. I started to think, maybe it was true that Gillum's improbable run was because of Trayvon Martin. So I started wondering, who was Trayvon Martin really? And what was Trayvon's true legacy? I needed to find out. I decided to produce a film about the case and how it affected American politics. This documentary is amazing and you need to go watch it. And it explains and puts into context everything. I wanna walk you through, just to refresh your memory, many of you may not remember, who Andrew Gillum is and how he came this close to being the governor of Florida, to knocking off Ron DeSantis. This is, Andrew Gillum is the closeted gay black man that was caught with a bunch of white male prostitutes and drugs in a hotel. That's who the Democrat Party was trying to install as governor of Florida. And they were using Trayvon Martin and that narrative to put a closeted, gay, drug-addicted black man into the governor's office. Do you think the puppet masters on the left did not know that Andrew Gillum was gay, closeted, and drug-addicted? Of course they did. That's why they wanted him in the governor's office, because he's compromised and he can be completely controlled. Now I'm about to really upset you, particularly you leftists and you race idolaters. Andrew Gillum, look at him, nice smile, black wife, look like the perfect family, gay, closeted and drug addicted. Where would they come up with that game plan? Who would be the blueprint for inspiring Florida in 2012 to say, hmm, we can put a gay closeted drug user in the governor's mansion and totally control him? What would inspire them to think they could do that? Is there a president in any of those recent years who many people believe, oh, a black man married to a nice black woman, looks a perfect couple, and, and oh, there's all these rumors that he's gay, and then there's 
there's some white dude running around the country saying, hey, I gave this guy a blowjob and had sex with him and we we did drugs together. Who? What was, I? the name is just on the tip of my tongue. I think it rhymes with Barack. And I think his last name rhymes with Obama, if memory serves me. So Florida, the Democrat Party, in 2012, in 2008, the National Democrat Party ran a presidential candidate that, who knows if it's true, but there's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of people. There's, there's a letter he wrote that, uh, to his girlfriends in college about all the gay sex he dreamed about. There's all this discussion. I think there's admittance about his drug use, cocaine and others. There's rumors about him and the choir director at Reverend Wright's church. That man ends up as president and Florida says, hey, I can we can do the same thing and get one of these guys in as governor. We just need a racial narrative to drive it. Trayvon Martin. And I don't care what you think you know about the Trayvon Martin case. I don't care what you think you think you know about George Zimmerman. You're being lied to. Trayvon Martin, and again, this it's in this documentary, but there's all kinds of other proof. Other, you don't need to just watch this documentary to find out who Trayvon Martin really was. Started dealing drugs, hanging around gang members, uh, was into fighting. This dude was a thug. End of story. Because, again, oh, Jason just said that to please this white guy. No, I'm talking how we talk amongst ourselves as black people. That was a little thug. His daddy was a big thug who had cripping all the time, tatted on his neck. And then when his son got killed and there was money to be made, he changed that tat into a hands praying. Tracy Martin, his daddy was a crip and was a drug dealer. Sabrina Fulton is one of these Yas Queen matriarchs who's bought into the Democrat nonsense and as a political activist, had booted her thug son out of the house, Trayvon Martin was in the process of beating the SHIT out of George Zimmerman when George Zimmerman pulled his gun and shot and killed him. Those are the facts. And if your allegiance to black skin color or your fear of being called racist prevents you from acknowledging those facts. You've been put in a position where you have to ignore the truth for your own uh, comfort, for your own being able to fit in, for, for your own identity sake. You've placed your skin color, your allegiance, your, your popularity 
You've placed that in priority over the truth. You have put separation between yourself and the truth. And once you start separating from the truth, what you're really separating from is God. And now you're just a tool for the Democrat Party and the leftists and everybody else that wants to separate America and you and every individual from God. You're just a tool for them to be played with and toyed with as they put racial hoaxes in front of you to inspire you to go to the polls and inspire white people. Oh, I feel so guilty. I got to vote for this Democrat because I don't want to be called racist. I got to vote for this gay closeted black man in Florida because I don't want to be called racist. And I don't want to, I'm, I'm putting fingers in my ear and I'm covering my eyes because I don't want to hear anything that contradicts my belief that Barack Obama is the greatest human being ever invented and he's the greatest president ever and I'm just a victim and they're only saying these things about Barack Obama and he wrote that letter about having gay sex to that white woman because of white supremacy. Yeah, that, that explains it. They're manipulating you and talking you into co-signing the throwing away of this country, the safest country, the most opportunity-rich country, the freest country on the planet for black people. You're being talked into throwing all of that away so you can fit in and be popular and not experience any discomfort. I, I wanna play you this one last clip from the Trayvon hoax that just kind of puts everything into perspective. But this whole thing, again, and my connection starts with Obama in 2008, and then they, Trayvon Martin is the start of a, a political strategy to manipulate, control, emotionally uh, manipulate black people, guilt trip white people into supporting people that the Democrat Party and the regime and the globalists absolutely control because they're completely compromised. Play the clip. The George Zimmerman case had started the modern era of fake news and race hoaxes. Had the truth been exposed at trial, the whole course of recent history would have been different. There would be no Black Lives Matter movement. The city of Ferguson might not have blown up. Colin Kaepernick might still be playing for the 49ers. And thousands of young African Americans might have been spared the lethal consequences of the Ferguson effect. But to tell this story, I had to find Diamond. He found Diamond. You should go watch the documentary. Your mind will be blown at what lengths they went to to sell the Trayvon Martin hoax, to cover up for the fact that the kid used drugs, uh, carried guns, fought, was in, involved in low-level gang activity, was a thug, and beat up George Zimmerman because he liked to fight, texted about fighting all the time. They covered it all up. Sabrina Fulton got paid, Tracy Martin got paid, all off the backs of their dead son, 
who was trying to beat up and or kill a Hispanic man and got shot in the process. And we all went for it. I got to raise my, I went for it. I bought the Trayvon lie initially. 2012, 2013, 2014, I bought the Trayvon lie. It wasn't until I started looking deeper and deeper and deeper that I was like, oh man. And then when I saw this documentary three or four years ago, I was like, yeah, a scam, a hoax. And I watched the documentary again just to refresh my memory. It's, all of this is connected. All of it. And, and Trayvon Martin in 2012 is connected to George Floyd in 2020. It's a strategy. And so I'm going to come back and start talking about this amazing documentary by Liz Conlon, I believe her name is, that goes into the fall of Minneapolis. What happened during the Derek Chauvin, George Floyd trial, what's happened to Minneapolis since, what's happened to their police force, what's happening to all of America, because this is really about, the, her documentary is the fall of Minneapolis. This whole thing that they're doing is about the fall of America. And so I, I'm going to go into that when we return. I wanna take care of another one of our uh, great sponsors. Uh, are you testing your skills on prize picks this football season? It's the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. My mom sent me some of her prize picks she's selecting for this Thursday during Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving football, and my mother's trying to make a buck. Uh, her pick, she's picking, uh, currently picking, I think Christian McCaffrey is a free square, uh, but she's got Brandon Ayuk with more than 64 and a half receiving yards versus Seattle. Uh, free square, Christian McCaffrey more than a half rushing receiving yards versus Seattle. And David Montgomery more than 65 and a half rushing yards versus Green Bay. Go to prizepicks.com slash fearless. Use the promo code fearless for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash fearless. Use the promo code fearless. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It's my obligation to hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. Marshall Falk, previously on Fearless. I want to go to a question that I, I, I want to throw in Marshall's lap. Ask you. Uh, the value of running backs uh -oh. has been completely diminished. Yeah. And is, is there something that should be done about it? It, 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 upset, <laughs> it upsets me because I think running backs are still very valuable. They've somehow rigged up the pay scale and the system. <gasps> you don't think they're still valuable? Just remember, just remember those same owners who you say, you know, oh, sure. they want to share. <laughs> just remember there's one position that's went backwards on the on the paying scale when you look at the average of of the top running backs 
It's gone backwards, yeah. Yeah. Know. All right, welcome back. One of our first special guests today, Joel Gilbert. We just got done talking about his documentary, The Trayvon Hoax, that exposed what really went down in 2012 and 2013 in the trial of George Zimmerman. Joel, thank you so much uh, for making the time for us today. I, 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 want, I don't know if I did it proper justice explaining Mm -hmm. How and why Ben Crump, the prosecution team, the police, the FBI's involvement, and, and just how critical it was to get Rachel Gentile to pretend to be the girlfriend of Trayvon Martin. That was the, anyway, could you explain to the audience why that was so critical and how that powered the trial against George Zimmerman? Uh, thanks, Jason. Look, it does go uh, to politics because in 2012, it really wasn't sure that the black community would come out and vote for Obama again. Everything had gotten worse. Uh, illegals came in, took away jobs. Wages were going down. Economy was terrible. And the black community was not going to come out for Obama. And so they needed something to infuriate uh, the black community to get them to want to come and support Obama. And the uh, the local police in Sanford, Florida, investigated the case and they exonerated George Zimmerman. They said it was self-defense. See you later. Go home. That's when uh, Ben Crump and the Martin family started pressuring uh, Trayvon Martin's girlfriend, Diamond Eugene, to come forward just to make some kind of statement so they could get an arrest. They thought if just if they got Zimmerman arrested, they didn't think they could convict him. But if they could just get him arrested, they could get millions of dollars out of the homeowners association to pay off the Martin family and pay off Ben Crump. So that's when you might remember Crump uh, presented a video. I'm sorry, an audio digital recording at a press conference. And he played excerpts of, of Trayvon's girlfriend. He said she's 16. She's a minor child. And. He said she said things that were a little bit different from the eyewitnesses. And he said, now we got all the evidence. Arrest George Zimmerman. That's Diamond Eugene's picture. So then the Florida prosecutors were forced into opening up the case again. And they went to go interview Diamond Eugene. And who shows up but 18-year-old Rachel Gentel, who's two years older than Trayvon, 150 pounds heavier, and she claims her, she used the name Diamond Eugene. Now, in my movie, even uh, Trayvon Martin's mother, who met Diamond and met her mother and Ben Crump, they all said, wait a minute, this is a fake witness. But Crump said, no, no, we're going to use her. So Rachel Gentel pretended that she was Diamond Eugene and lied to prosecutors. And prosecutors arrested Zimmerman based on this interview with Rachel Gentel. And without Rachel Gentel, they never would have arrested Zimmerman in the first place. So even though Rachel Gentel actually told prosecutors, it's actually in the in the movie, she actually tells prosecutors six times after her interview, she says, I feel real guilty. I ain't know about it. I ain't know about it. They won't listen to her. So she was key in getting Zimmerman arrested. And she's the whole reason that the went, it went to trial. Of course, Zimmerman was exonerated a second time. But... Black Lives Matter was founded on this hoax, and we saw it continue with the Ferguson effect, Freddie Gray, all these cases, all the way through 
the George Floyd hoax with the exact same characters with Ben Crump and Al Sharpton using the case to inflame America, divide America uh, for political gain. Joel, today you just connected Trayvon Martin to Obama. In your documentary, you, you connect him to Andrew Gillum's campaign for governor in Florida, where he nearly pulled, because he kind of came from out of nowhere and nearly pulled off uh, beating. Uh, he lost by a few thousand votes to uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. You think they were, it was part of both a local state play and a part of the national campaign for Barack Obama? I think it was a bigger for Barack Obama, and then Andrew Gillum kind of picked up on it to try to exploit it, uh, because Dream Defenders was a, uh, a radical Marxist group tied to the Palestinian Front, uh, Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine. A Palestinian terror group was uh, partners with the Dream Defenders, and their goal was to teach American youth intifada and to partner with Palestinian and black youth. And they rebranded themselves after the Trayvon Martin case uh, as Black Lives Matter, as a rebranding. Uh, but it was clearly a national case because you'll remember that when Ben Crump interviewed Diamond Eugene, Trayvon's real girlfriend, after that press conference, he didn't turn over his audio tape and his information to the Sanford police. He said, I'm only gonna give this to the FBI. So he gave the recording and all his info on Diamond Eugene to the FBI. Now, they would have obviously known that the voice on the recording was not the same as Rachel Gentile, and they would have looked up her address and known that the address that they had met her at was Brittany Diamond Eugene's address and not Rachel Gentile. So I think the federal government was in on it. And we saw recently in the George Floyd case how apparently the FBI was in on uh, altering the autopsy report uh, for George Floyd so that Derek Chauvin could get arrested. Uh, not different from what they did to get uh, George Zimmerman arrested in the, in the Zimmerman case. I watched your documentary and that is one of my takeaways. I think Ben Crump is an FBI informant and works hand in hand with the FBI. He's an FBI operative, no different than Al Sharpton. Now it's been proven that Al Sharpton has been an FBI informant for years. The, these guys are controlled by the FBI and do the bidding of the FBI, and, and they work hand in hand to stir the racial animus that the regime or the people in power, the establishment, want to have happen. Do, I, you know, I, I legitimately believe Ben Crump works directly for the FBI. Uh, I, I couldn't say that's not true because uh, why would he favor the FBI over the local police? Uh, why would he be so intimately involved in every one of these hoaxes, including the hands up, don't shoot hoax? FBI is always there to investigate and so is Crump. Crump's always on the scene with the FBI and Al Sharpton and then the media comes in behind and reports whatever narrative that they've come up with to, to stoke uh, racial animus and racial division, also that there can be a po political outcome. And the political outcome always appears to be one apparently that the FBI favors. Their favored candidate gets in or gets reelected or gets disrupted in the case of Donald Trump. But, but my contention would be, and I, I think your argument is correct, but 
The further proof that, that uh, Ben Crump is working for the government at, at, in a major way is, when you look at your documentary, he intentionally put a false witness on the stand, injected a false witness into a criminal prosecution of an American citizen. He knew it was false. There's no way you didn't know it was false. He should be facing criminal charges for that. That seems like a violation of George Zimmerman's civil rights. George Zimmerman, uh, for, you know, people may not like it, but it's factual. He's a person of color. Uh, he's a minority. He's Hispanic. And his rights have been violated by, by an officer of the court. I don't understand how Ben Crump, or, or to me, the only reason, it's like Ray Epps in January 6th. He got to do all that stuff on January 6th, and law enforcement went out of its way not to prosecute him or bring any charges against him. The reason why Ben Crump isn't facing criminal charges for, for doing something clearly illegal is that has to, perjury, whatever. He has well, to you, be protected yeah. by the government. Yeah, you can argue the only way he skates is if he's being protected by the government and he knows it. Uh, look, the Martin family was in on it. The Martin family met Trayvon's girlfriend and her mother, uh, uh, Brittany Diamond, Eugene's mother, uh, the Florida prosecutors. They all knew about it. They were all in on it. It took, uh, you know, me five years later to go in and look at the text messages, 3,000 text messages of, of Trayvon Martin where he's texting his girlfriend, Diamond Eugene, and he says, send me a pic, and she sends him a pic. And it's not Rachel Gentile, it's a different girl. Now, anybody could have walked into the state of Florida archives and gotten those text messages during the past five years, but no one did. And they could have seen that Rachel Gentile, who was a couple hundred pounds heavier and two years older, was not Trayvon's girlfriend. She was not on the phone with him, she didn't know him. And her story was entirely made up. And Ben Crump, as you said, is the person that facilitated the witness tampering, switching the witnesses in order to find someone who will lie to police and fulfill that narrative. And the media went with it and, you know, Black Lives Matter started and pretty much the rest is history. Joel, uh, finally, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes. Have you seen any of the, uh, the fall of Minneapolis and, and when you've, what you've seen, what you've heard about it, uh, what is your reaction to it and how does it connect to your documentary? Well, first of all, yes, I have seen it. I've actually spoken to Chauvin's uh, appeals attorney and uh, it was clear to me from the beginning that uh, the case against Chauvin was, was something that they were railroading him through the courts because of the political narrative that had been established and they had to create a legal uh, case to fit the media narrative. And the media narrative was, uh, you know, similar as in the Trayvon Martin case where a smallish black child who was just trying to get home and get some candy was murdered in cold blood by a white racist. And that filled the, the narrative. Uh, the George Floyd case, the narrative was, uh, you know, innocent bystander, you know, George Floyd was uh, murdered in cold blood by this police officer who was sitting on his neck. So they had to create the legal case to match that narrative, which they had accomplished so much politically and so much destruction. They couldn't come and say, oh, it was uh, <laughs> the entire narrative was was a lie. 
so it's kind of the ugly bookend uh, after of, of the Trayvon Martin case where the media uh, villainized an innocent man, demonized him, and the courts uh, fabricated evidence against the innocent person to fulfill a political goal. And uh, luckily Zimmerman at that time in 2012, 13, the courts were not so corrupted uh, once you go to trial. By you know, 2019, the courts are corrupted. They refused to move the case out of that venue even though they could hear the, the protesters outside, even though clearly anybody that found George Floyd, uh, found Chauvin innocent, would have been dragged out of their homes and probably murdered if you're in the jury. So the courts were just so corrupted and completely ignored all evidence out of fear of the mob. So the fear of the mob uh, between the Zimmerman case and the Chauvin case definitely took over the court system such that Zimmerman and those other three police officers, rather Chauvin and those three police officers sitting in jail today for a crime they did not commit. Clearly George Floyd died of uh, drug overdose and heart disease and not as the result of asphyxiation. So the two cases are, are bookends of abuse of power, abuse of the court systems, and political and media narratives used to manipulate the public and manipulate politics. And that's how they're related. Thank you so much, Joel. Great documentary. I recommend everybody go watch it. A lot to learn. Uh, thank you. Uh, so we'll talk about the fall of Minneapolis next. Brent Favre, previously on Fearless. I didn't. I never particularly liked being chewed out, whether it be my dad or any other coach. But I, I got it. You know, I, I. You know, it was okay. I think we need more of that uh, Bobby Knight today. Uh, my my college coach for three years, Curly Hallman, was the meanest man I've ever met. <laughs> he had he had a speed bag every day after practice. I think he did, and he was good. I think he did it just to to intimidate the guys. And he was a hard ass, but but I loved him. Uh, he was a disciplined guy. My dad was a very disciplined guy. My dad was very short on attaboys and very long on you can do better. I'm a, I'm a bust your ass. Alright, welcome back. Uh, we're talking about uh, the new documentary, The Fall of Minneapolis. It's amazing. It, it puts a new light for many of you on the George Floyd uh, situation. I'm trying to connect it to I'm not trying, I am connecting it to the Trayvon Martin case and how this is all part of a design orchestrated plan, constant political plan to manipulate black people and manipulate and, and use Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all the rest to rile up emotions and to get the political agenda and get the political candidates installed that they want. And so in 2020, they come back with George Floyd. And again, do, do I think George Floyd is like, uh, they said, hey, George Floyd, you're gonna die on May 25th, 2020. 
No. What they know is that at some point there's going to be some uh, resisting criminal just based off of history, based off stats. They know some resisting criminal is going to die. And they just wait for the right one. And, hey, it may happen in late May. It could happen in early May. It could happen in April. It could happen in mid-June, July. But they know that something's going to happen over the summer. They'll get the right footage on camera. And then they'll let the media carry the ball and tell the lies and manipulate the audience and manipulate America and stir up all this racial unrest, stir up all this chaos and violence, and then they'll send in their operatives that they have in Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all the agitators. Again, this is why they're allowing in all these criminals across the southern border, because they will be able to control them, because if they don't do what they've been assigned to do, we can gather them up and ship them back. That, that, that's why, again, when you look at the events in Kenosha and when Kyle Rittenhouse ran into all those problems, he, he shot a bunch of criminals. He, he, he shot a, a guy that was uh, uh, a two-time pedophile. Then the other guy was crazy and I think had domestic violence issues or, or whatever. It, it's these Criminals and compromised people. And again, what, what I told you about Rachel Gentel and, and basically what I'm telling you about, because the, the Trayvon Martin case was the invention of Ben Crump. I've met Ben Crump. We've all heard him talk. Ben Crump for a lawyer is very limited intellectually. Very limited intellectually. Not a smart person. Listen to him talk. I've met him. He's not that bright. He doesn't have a bunch of other options as it relates to law enforcement or as it relates to being a lawyer or being a professional or there's no other way for him to make millions of dollars other than cooperating and working with the FBI and, and the, the surveillance industry. Because again, Ben Crump is an FBI plant. As, as soon as that thing went down with Trayvon Martin, Ben Crump, he didn't contact the local police. He went to the FBI because that's his job. That's his role. And when you go look at this uh, George Floyd situation, when you go watch this documentary, The Fall of Minneapolis, you'll see that within 12 hours after George Floyd's death, the FBI is involved. They don't leave it to local police on these major issues. The, the FBI runs in and says, oh, okay, yeah, this fits the profile. We can work with this. We can stir up what we need stirred up to reproduce the election and the political results that we need, that we've been instructed to foment and make happen. And so... May 2020, all of America is on pins and needles and being told by corporate media, we got to do everything to stop this existential threat. Donald Trump. Oh, if Donald Trump gets back in office, oh, America's going to burn. It's going to be terrible. What can we do to stop it? Well, we need one of these racial incidents that the media can 
drum up all this animus and emotion and, and convince black people and well-intentioned white liberals that, whew, boy, oh boy, Donald Trump, uh, Derek Chauvin is a Trump supporter. Even though Derek, Derek Chauvin was a Democrat, he's a Trump supporter, and these white people have to be stopped, and the only way to stop them is with a Democrat. So I want to play some excerpts from uh, the fall of Minneapolis just to give you a flavor of, of this tremendous documentary that I want everybody to go watch. And so the fall of Minneapolis, the first one clip I want to play you is just to go ahead and fully connect it to the Trayvon deal because the people in Minneapolis, and I think this first clip features a cop uh, or a former cop in Minneapolis who spells out how this whole thing, the whole George Floyd situation, was to drive a political narrative. Play the clip. The elections were coming up. Everything's politically driven. They were going to use this incident for a political narrative, and they did. It started with the, uh, the tragic and senseless murder of George Floyd, and it extended through the week of uh, righteous anger being expressed by community leaders and all people of conscience. If you're feeling that sadness and that anger, it's not only understandable, it's right. This is the political establishment. And, and, and again, I'm pointing out the leftists and the Democrats. But many of the Republicans are on board with this. They're just pretending to oppose this. Because all of this should have been called out in real time. And I say that because I called it out in real time. You didn't need x-ray vision. You didn't need to be Superman. You didn't need to be Perry Mason to figure out, hey, this George Floyd narrative makes no sense. You could smell the BS from the giddy up. And these politicians have more information than I do. Certainly investigators have more information than I do. This thing did not add up. And so at the, I remember stating very early on, like, hey, maybe you can get Derek Chauvin on some kind of involuntary manslaughter. He should have got his knee up off the guy, or maybe. But this whole murder and this whole deal, like, oh, he acted out of racism and he was just out to destroy George Floyd. That was BS from the jump and everybody knew it. What the fall of Minneapolis does is really expose the level of BS really exposed how much people knew in real time and had an opportunity to expose to the public and to tell the truth. And, and look, if there were going to be consequences, if, if all those agitators and all the, the Antifa and Black Lives Matter and, and the anger in the community, that would be better 
than sacrificing our entire justice system, sacrificing, undercutting our police force, undermining our police force, undermining law enforcement from being able to protect and serve the communities they're paid to protect and serve. And, and this documentary exposes how the police were controlled by their police chief and the political system from doing any kind of pushback against the protesters, against the violent protesters. So many lies being, being told in this, and the, and the big smoking gun lie is what George Floyd's health was horrendous. Hor I think they said he had a 75% blockage in one artery. Uh, his his uh, hypertension at some times ran 210 over 160. He swallowed a bunch of drugs. It's just incredible. And, and I want to play you a cut that exposes just the level of lies. They put the facts out there that in 2019, George Floyd was arrested uh, for basically the same thing, same situation with cops. He's resisting arrest. They seem swallowing a bunch of pills. They get into the hospital or they, no, they, they take his blood pressure there on the scene. It's like 210 over 160. They rush him to the hospital, save his life. It's the 2019, same situation with cops, looks identical to uh, the 2020 deal in May, in, in May of 2020. And, and Ben Crump and the medical professionals, despite all the evidence, despite the autopsy, despite uh, doctors or, uh, doing it, doctors doing a full examination of him and explaining like, Woo, with all this fentanyl in him and given his pre-existing conditions, yeah, this looks like a drug overdose. Watch Ben Crump and the people that Ben Crump and probably the FBI or whomever, whoever they paid to tell these lies. Watch this clip. If George Floyd would have told the truth about fentanyl and methamphetamine, could that have helped to save his life? Yes. Yes, it could have. Um, that's proven by what happened the year before when he was arrested by Minneapolis police, and he was putting tablets in his mouth. Open your mouth, spit out what you got, spit out what you got. He admitted at some point that he had swallowed a bunch of pills, and the paramedics came and talked to him and took his blood pressure, and his blood pressure was extremely high, 216 over 160, and so he ended up going to the hospital. Get your hands off right now. If he had admitted that he had again ingested pills in the car, when they were attempting to arrest him, things could have turned out much differently. That's a beat that's gonna go off on me, man. So we know now that the police body camera videos were withheld from the public and even the jurors. When you were able to see those videos, what was going through your mind? I wish that those videos had been out sooner, that they hadn't been withheld for two and a half months because it, the videos uh, portrayed quite a different story from what we had originally heard. I can't joke! I can't breathe! You mentioned you went through these police body camera videos minute by minute. Right. What troubled you most? At the very end of Thomas Lane's body cam video. One of us ride with? 
The paramedic handing the bag to Thomas Lane to ventilate the patient, you can see that the oxygen tubing is coiled up. It's not even attached to the oxygen source. That's a big mistake. George Floyd was a healthy young man. Uh, the autopsy shows that Mr. Floyd had no underlying medical problem that caused or contributed to his death. The lies are just incredible that were told in this case. This was a political PSYOP. I'm not going to play you the clip, but there's a, they show all the interaction between the police and George Floyd that led up to George Floyd being on the ground and being restrained. And so that's maybe 12, 15 minutes of interaction. And at the point they, they had George Floyd in the back of the police car, he crawls out the other side and they, they just, they just kind of like give up. And, and George Floyd, they say, hey, let's put him on the ground. And then you hear, I believe it's the officer Lane say, uh, call EMT, let's get paramedics here. You, you hear him say it, and it's 36 seconds after they get George Floyd to the ground, they're calling for paramedics. 36 seconds after he goes to the ground and ends up in the position where, you know, he's pinned down for eight minutes. 36 seconds into that, they call for paramedics. And they're expecting those paramedics to arrive within two to three minutes because they're only a few blocks from the fire station where they expect the paramedics to arrive. And if the, if the paramedics arrive in two minutes, like standard time, this whole George Floyd thing never happens. He's not pinned down. They get up, paramedics start taking care of him, just like they did in 2019. But what happens is the dispatch screws up and the fire department, the paramedics, go to a different address. They go to the Cup Foods just a few blocks away and they're looking for George Floyd and it took the paramedics like 20 minutes to get there or 10, 15 minutes to get there. It, it took far longer than anyone ever anticipated. So I don't want to get ahead of myself because the restraint that they were doing on George Floyd is what they were trained to do. It's what they were trained to do. No one broke procedure. Derek Chauvin and the three other cops did exactly what they were trained to do by the Minneapolis police force. 
This was not a murder. This was people using a restraint technique that they're trained to do when they have a resisting subject that they can't control. And they're doing it while thinking, oh, paramedics will be here in two minutes tops and this will be over. And then there's all this yelling and screaming and George Floyd talking about. And, and so what happens like anybody else, two minutes turns into 10 minutes while you're thinking it's just two minutes because your expectations are, well, there'll be paramedics here. This we're just going to do this here for a short time. You're not you don't have a stopwatch on the situation. This is just standard operating procedure doing exactly what they're trained to do. EMS, the paramedics, the dispatch, they screw up. But <clears throat> I want to play you because uh, I'm now let's go to the I'm going to go a little bit out of order. Let's go to the MRT. The 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 clip. This is a clip that explains how they did exactly what the Minneapolis police force trained them to do. Play the clip. Is this a trained technique that's uh, by the Minneapolis Police Department when you were uh, overseeing the training unit? It is not. And how does this differ? I don't know what kind of improvised position that is. So that's not what we train. All right. As you reflect on Exhibit 17, I must ask you, is this a trained Minneapolis Police Department defensive tactics technique. It is not. When I heard that part of the testimony, I really wanted to get up off my chair and yell, bullshit. Several of those witnesses testified that MRT, or the maximal restraint technique, was not a part of Minneapolis police policy. Oh, the, um, it wasn't part of the training. The pages that were didn't want to be presented in court because they weren't in the manual. I've seen the manual. I've read through the manuals. I've seen I've seen them. Hmm, they're not in the manuals. Well, they sure as hell are in Derek's training manuals. So how can they say that they don't exist? That's Derek's manual. These are Derek's training manuals. And MRT is in there? Yes, it's in there. So how can you say that's not part of the training? So the chief of police at that time told a frickin' lie. Your attorney wanted to show a photo of MRT to the jury, but Judge Cahill denied it. Was this a key piece of evidence? I think it certainly is important. Just the fact that it's a PowerPoint training presentation that the city of Minneapolis, Minneapolis Police Department delivered uh, using that photograph uh, that at least illustrates some of the training techniques that are performed. Were you trained in MRT, the maximal restraint technique? Yes. 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 Yes, I was. Yes, we all were. Yes, all the police officers were trained in the MRT. Your police chief said on the stand that he didn't recognize that technique. Mm-hmm. 
I, I heard him say that. It's tough to hear people lie, just straight lie. And again, goes right back to, for me, the good and the bad, like the right and the wrong. And for you to be under oath and just straight lie. The amount of training that we go through, I mean, it's, it's consistent every single year. It's written down. It's on body cam. I mean, was that unfortunate? Absolutely. I know Derek Chauvin. It's, it's absolutely horrific what happened, the whole scenario. But did he do anything intentionally to make that happen? No, it was, it was all what we were trained on. So <clears throat> I, I know many of you, some of you, I don't want to say many, some of you and, and others are so locked into racial idolatry and allegiance to blackness that you don't care that four police officers are rotting in prison for doing what the city of Minneapolis trained them to do. You, you, you somehow think uh, black people are advanced by doing harm to two white men, a half black man, and an Asian man. And that, hey, you know what? Emmett Till suffered in 1955, so if some of them go down in 2023, so what? That's a satanic mindset. It, it does not advance the cause of black people. It, it does, it, if you take some delight in the punishment of others, solely because of their race or solely because you've been programmed to hate the police because you want to pretend like a career criminal, a gang member, a drug abuser, someone who swallowed a bunch of drugs that day, fentanyl, and died because of his poor health and his abuse of drugs. If you're good with that person, with, with four people going to prison, one of these cops, and I believe it's the half black cop, that was his third shift as a cop. He's on video trying to save George Floyd's life, giving him CPR. He's on video. They didn't show that at the trial. The media didn't put that in front of your face, but it's facts. It's in this documentary. And perhaps you're good with it. But it's evil. It's wicked. It's racist. It's barbaric. It's stupid. So <clears throat> I'm going to circle back to, I'm, I'm going to connect all, and this is one, this to me was the most stunning point in this entire documentary. And it, it, it's, it's George Floyd's funeral. And th there's a minister, I think, named Jerry McAfee. It's SOT number five. George Floyd's funeral, the first minister to speak, shouts out the bloods, the gangster disciples, the vice lords. He, he shouts out gang members. This is at George Floyd's funeral, a minister. Play the clip.
on behalf of the pastors and preachers from Minneapolis and St. Paul, the Bloods on the south side, Gangster Disciples and Vice Lords on the south, on the north side, Psalms 27. So, <clears throat> those of you uh, watching or listening over Apple, you're not seeing the words on screen, but they, they go on to explain that Keith Ellison, the Attorney General, uh, and I, one other lawyer, someone else involved, have all these deep gang connections. And, and like Keith Ellison, the Attorney General, black dude, light skin, who, who led the lynch mob against Derek Chauvin and all these cops, uh, represented gangs early in his law career before becoming the attorney general. And, and, and I show you that clip to help you understand about how much of a third world country, how corrupt the American criminal justice system has become, and that we're no different than the South American countries that are controlled by drug lords and gangs. That's who's in control of our criminal justice system. That's who's calling the shots. A minister opens up a funeral, shouting out gangs. A minister. And, and a minister can't claim ignorance that he knows that these gangs are so steeped in demonic energy, so steeped in Satanism. He, he can't deny that, their connection. These aren't remotely godly organizations. They're the antithesis of that. But that's where we're at. And the attorney general with his connections to gangs. And how Antifa, a gang, Black Lives Matter, a gang. Criminals are running America's criminal justice system. You want to know why all the professional athletes, all the black professional athletes are obsessed with criminal justice reform. NFL, give us $100 million so uh, Anquan Bolden and Malcolm Jenkins can lead criminal justice reform. And how... Everything is about what can we do to make things better for criminals? Not what can we do to make people safer, not what we can do to provide comfort and justice for victims and their families. Everybody's finances, resources, energy is focused on what can we do for the criminals? Minister. Church leaders, funerals. Want to shout out before I quote from Psalms 27. I want to shout out Pookie and them and all the uh, West Side players and gangbangers. Welcome. It's. We're throwing away the country and everybody's sitting on the sidelines thinking, oh, it's just going to go away. 
I don't have to man up. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to raise my voice. I don't have to stand on truth. It's just going to go away. It'll get better in time. No, it won't. This stuff is by design. This stuff is orchestrated to achieve political ends. The entire political motive with the Marxist, communist, socialist, leftist agenda is to disconnect you and everybody in America from truth. And by disconnecting you from truth, they're disconnecting you from God. And by disconnecting you from God, they can uproot this constitution and they can install their globalist, one world, uh, Marxist agenda. And so, our cities, the major cities, if you live in a major city, um, move as quick as you can. Get out from the major city as quick as you can because these cities are controlled by leftists, they're controlled by the criminal element, they're controlled by corrupt politicians, they're controlled by people with no legitimate connection to God, people hostile to God, they're controlled by Satanists. And they're running out law enforcement so they can have their way with the community. And so in this documentary, there's a scene where the policemen are the Minneapolis cops, some black, some white, some women, some men are explaining why they left the police force. Because I think uh, I think they ran a stat that the Minneapolis police force had, I think, 992 officers and they've lost 380. They're down to like 500 or so police officers since the George Floyd riots and situation. And so I want to play this clip of a cop explaining exactly why he quit the Minneapolis police force. The last call I was ever on was, should have been a routine call. It was a simple hit and run. An officer just dispatched to a hit and run call. The victim has pictures of the car that took off, a description of the guy, and the guy drives by again. So the officer follows him, stops him. I think uh, we had four officers there because people started yelling. I mean, this was just after the riots. Anytime we're out dealing with anybody, especially if a person of color, we were getting the all kinds of screaming and yelling and everything else. It didn't take too long before we realized this guy was completely high on drugs. He was huge too. He was probably 6'5". I mean, he was tall, way bigger than me, probably twice my size. And he's like, I'm not going to jail. And I'm like, okay, well, we got our body cameras on. We got four guys. And I'm thinking, well, this guy's drugged out. And he's like, well, I'm not going to jail. I'm going home. Pretty soon the fight's on. And we're fighting with this guy, trying to get him cuffed. We're not hitting him. We're not striking him or anything. But we're going to go to the ground sooner or later because he's a big dude. And we can't. We're going to go to the ground. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, if this guy ODs, if this guy dies in our custody, four white cops at 17th in Chicago, 20 blocks from George Floyd. We're going to prison. And I'm looking at these guys and I go, we're going to prison. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. 
It's a horrible day. Can you blame the guy? I mean, can you blame me? Can you blame police all over the country for not bailing on a system where they can get caught in that situation and they end up in prison no different than the four police officers, Derek Chauvin, uh, Tao, Tao, I think is the Asian guy's name, uh, Alex King, I believe is the black dude's name, and Thomas Lane. Uh, these guys are all rotted in prison right now for following the procedures that they were taught. And now the criminals know they have the upper hand. The ministers are shouting out gang members and gangs. The attorney general is on the sides of gang members and gangs, on the side of criminals. The repercussions of this are obvious. This is the last clip we'll play, but the repercussions are obvious for all of this. Less cops, more crime. Play the clip. I do hear that the mayor talks that crime is down. Crime is down. Crime is down. Say it with me. Crime is down. I often wonder if we're looking at the same city. Overall, crime is way up. Give me the keys. Give me your money, everything. Keys, everything, everything. How they ignore that or don't pay attention to that is beyond me. It's just another example of why we're in this situation we're in now. Can you even keep up? No. When I came on, we used to have a, a roll call of about 20 to 25 cops. Um, I've had roll calls with two cops in them. So it's just not enough. This council is going to dismantle this police department. <laughs> All right, tell me to say it again. This council is going to dismantle this police department. This government, not just in Minneapolis, but in, in the nation in general, has done a very good job, all the way to the White House, of demonizing law enforcement. Do you believe there is systemic racism in law enforcement? Absolutely. Now, with the element of, it seems, happy prosecutors to prosecute officers for mistakes made, makes it almost unbearable to do the job. And the policies passed makes it impossible to do the job that needs to be done. Our commitment is to end our city's toxic relationship with the Minneapolis Police Department, to end policing as we know it. Guys, listen, this is obvious. This is a plot to destroy America, and it's being executed by many of our elected officials. Obviously, billionaire globalists are paying for this. George Soros' hands are all over all of this. But the fall of Minneapolis is about the fall of America and the undermining of law enforcement and law and order and any kind of structure. It's about creating chaos so that this whole thing can be taken apart and they can rewrite the Constitution. I, I have more to say, and we're going to engage with Delano and Shamika and, and others. But l let me take care of one of our, our great sponsors, and then we'll come back with more. Uh, you guys know I've been taking Liver Health Formula uh, for more than two years. They decided to hop on board uh, as a sponsor, unbeknownst to me. And so I couldn't give you a more 
authentic recommendation uh, for those of you that are suffering with a fatty liver. Uh, the American Heart Association uh, studies suggest that people with fatty liver are three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. There's a solution, liver health formula, an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. Manufactured right here in the U.S. of A. and approved by American doctors. So if you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, and transform how you look and feel, try Liver Health Formula and receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings when you order today. Try Liver Health Formula by going to GetLiverHelp.com slash Jason and claim your free bonus gift. That's GetLiverHelp.com slash Jason. Jason Whitlock, previously on Fearless. Y'all sitting around saying nothing as they inject all these women into the NFL. Mm-mm. We got sideline judges, assistant coaches, executives, Mm-mm. and but, but we can't get an opportunity. But y'all say I, I nothing have, have. when they sliding all these women into a game that you built and it's meant for men. But but I'm the crazy person because I believe in the Bible and I'm sitting here watching them uh, move hey. men out of leadership positions hey. and move women in to spaces Whitlock. reserved for men and and no one says a word. But you want to know? Like the you want to know? Wrong. It all started when the expert opinion about about playing a sport and how to play a sport. It was when it became okay for journalists to become experts. Welcome back. Time for some Shamoke show. Shamika, uh, I know you watched the fall of Minneapolis. I thought it was amazing. Uh, I, I thought it was very powerful. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway from uh, watching this documentary? I think my biggest takeaway, again, I actually read the book that Liz did as well, but I think my biggest takeaway is just how the media spun this. I remember thinking back then, why haven't I heard the original audio from that they released initially? In the beginning, I remember hearing something where I heard someone say, stop resisting. You won't win. Get in the car. You've been doing this for a certain amount of minutes. And I never heard that video again. You know, it didn't change my mind because I never bought into the whole I am George Floyd. You know, I just I wasn't one of those people. And so I think this just kind of made me feel like I was right in the first place to not not jump on the bandwagon and to be one of these people that bought into the racial division that the left was selling us. So I have connected this all the way back to Trayvon Martin. And like, there's a pattern of using black people's emotion and the, the oppression narrative to install the political movements, people that they want. And, and, and so I, I see like what they almost did with Andrew Gillum, gay, closeted, uh, drug addicted, 
black man almost made him the governor of Florida over Ron DeSantis. And they rode Trayvon Martin to that. It's like, do you think we're as susceptible to, because it'll happen again probably in 2024. Will we fall for this again and again and again? Or will we perhaps snap out of it and be less easily manipulated the next time? Honestly, Jason, I don't have any hope for our people, not not in mass like that. I do think that we will fall for it again in 2024. And I definitely think it's going to happen. It happens like clockwork and like clockwork, our people are pulled by their heartstrings and manipulated. I do think that there are people getting sick of the manipulation. I do think that there are people waking up to the ploys of the Democrat party, but I still believe that when it comes to tapping into our our emotions, they can easily do that. I don't think we've gotten smart enough to be able to walk away from that. You know, when I looked at the video that they played in the documentary and the picture that floated across social media for years or for three years now, they don't even look like the same person. This was like George Floyd, B.C., before crack. But yet people thought this was the same man in the video. And so I think they know exactly what they're doing. They know we're going to fall for it. They know people are going to be sitting around crying or pretending to cry. That's another thing that gets on my nerve. It's like people expect you to pick a side or to pretend like you're missing a meal or not sleeping at night. When honestly, Jason, I never... You know, of course, as a human being, you see these things and you're like, oh, that's terrible. But I never missed a meal over George Floyd's death. I never missed a night of sleep. I continued to go through my life as I do every day, taking care of my kids and showing up to to be Shamika. You know, and the thought that so many people get so wrapped up that they can't even function is just silly. But the Democrats really depend on that. And black people show up for the emotional manipulation every time. You said pulling on heartstrings. I want to challenge you or clarify. Is it pulling on heartstrings or is it pulling on jealousy and people's lust for revenge. Because again, I'm not sure. When when my cousin was killed by police, that pulled at my heartstrings. Happened in 2012, pulled at my heart. George Floyd never pulled on my heartstrings. I'm out of Arbery, didn't pull on my heartstrings. It's not because I'm a heartless person. It's just I'm just keeping it real and honest. I, it's sad, but but for me, when I see, and not Ahmaud Arbery is not the right reference point, but when I see George Floyd or Michael Brown or Trayvon Martin, I see, I see people that agitated and forced conflict and then lost in that conflict, it doesn't pull at my heartstrings. It, it, it just doesn't. It's like, oh, you resisted arrest. Oh, you were beating up a man broke his nose, uh, slammed George Floyd's head into the concrete and all that, and you lost the fight. Doesn't pull at my heartstrings. It's like, you wanted to smoke? You got the smoke? 
And so is it heartstrings that are being pulled or is it jealousy and, and, and rage and a, a, a thirst for revenge? And I want you to feel the way Emmett Till's mama felt. What's really going on here? That's why I like talking to you, Jason, because you give me a different way to look at things. And I think you're absolutely right. It is a sense of revenge. It's just like when OJ was declared not guilty. I can remember cheering. I have no allegiance to OJ. I don't know him. I never knew Nicole. Like, all I saw was that this black man was getting off and most of the time they go to prison. It didn't even matter to me whether he was guilty or not. It was just the fact that he got off and it felt like a win for black people, which is so silly. But yes, I do think a lot of people are driven by revenge. And so you're right. You know, it's not an emotional tie in the sense of you feel so bad or, you know, you love this person or you hated to see them go through that. It is revenge. A lot of times I think so many people are refusing to look at this George Floyd case and exactly what's happening to Derek Chauvin because they don't care. This is a white man that has actually been given years in prison when you most of us know somebody black that's been given a lot of time in prison. People don't care because he's white. And I think if he had been a black man, that may be different. We don't even hear this going on for the, the officers. What Was it in Memphis? I'm not even seeing people still be emotionally charged over that because these were black officers. But now people are still, they're still arguing about George Floyd. I'm seeing people upset because this documentary has come out. They won't even take the time to watch it. Why? Because they are so so married to the idea that this white man got exactly what he deserved. This precinct got exactly what it deserved. And so what? And there are people that are running with the narrative that, oh, if you think anything differently, you're looking for a police state. And that's not true. You know, we are just trying to look at something logical, regardless of the color of the skin of the people involved. And I think that people that refuse to do that do feel a sense of revenge and so they don't care thank you Shamika have a great Thanksgiving uh, thank don't over well you can't overeat uh, I'm not going <laughs> to overeat uh, have a great Thanksgiving real quick what are you cooking what's your cooking specialty so I'm doing Caribbean cabbage. I'm also doing the stuffing and homemade cranberry sauce. My daughter is upset with me right now because I'm not doing the macaroni and cheese. I'm leaving that to a cousin, but she'll get over it because I just did macaroni and cheese like last week. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> so we so have Mika, a big I, I, Thanksgiving I got, dinner. I'm going to have to send this clip to my mother because... My mother is in charge of the fried cabbage and mm -hmm. the oyster dressing. That, that's her two assignments, and that's her specialty. So you and my mother got something in common. Uh, thank you, Shamika. Great job. Thank you. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Uh, for years, Hollywood has been lacking when it comes to stories of redemption. Movies and TV shows have trended towards the anti-hero, the flawed person who makes no effort to change and just becomes worse and worse as the story goes on. Well, here's some great news. The Blind, the true story of the Robertson family, 
is now available for purchase on Blaze TV. Maybe you've made a mess of your life. Maybe someone you love is in a dark place. Maybe all the above. If you or someone you know feels beyond redemption, you need to watch this movie. You'll see there is always hope, always. The Blind takes you on an incredible journey through the life of Phil Robertson, giving you an intimate look into the man behind the legend and the trials, the triumphs, and the values that have shaped him through the years. While The Blind wasn't a Blaze media production, since Phil is such a big part of our Blaze TV family, we wanted to make sure you had the opportunity to stream it here. Because it isn't ours, we can't include it as part of our subscription. But if you'd rather purchase it and stream it here, rather than Apple and Amazon, we wanted to make sure the opportunity was there. Act now, don't miss this opportunity to own The Blind, a Phil Robertson story on Blaze TV. Buy it today at blazetv.com slash the blind for $19.99. That's blazetv.com, the blind. Lionel Squires next. Jason Whitlock, previously on Fearless. When you're in school as an athlete, they owe you. Once your playing career is over, you owe them. That's a very controversial mentality with great players. I argue with my friends about it, I argue with everybody, because everybody looks back at the school and thinks, well, I played five years or four years, y'all owe me. I have a different mentality. The school owes you while you're there, right. and once you graduate, you owe them. I, well, now we even. I, I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. Now we I, even. I won't, I, actually, actually, I agree with that to a certain degree. Here's here's what here's what I owe you, and I'm okay with owing you. Just make sure I'm around the rest of the alumni, your boosters. Like just that's it, and I'm gonna make sure you're taken care of, school. So, uh, Delano, I think it was this past weekend, I rewatched uh, the documentary about Trayvon Martin, the Trayvon hoax, and the games that were played during that trial and that situation. And then last night, I watched uh, The Fall of Minneapolis, and one of the first thoughts that ran through my mind was your sane slogan about the Selma Syndrome and how black people are constantly being manipul emotionally manipulated to achieve a political end. And, and that was my takeaway watching both of these documentaries back to back, that these are elaborate, well-orchestrated, well-funded schemes to provoke racial unrest and emotion. In, or, in, in 2012, they were trying to get Andrew Gillum closeted gay black man, drug addicted into the governor's office. And, and in, tw in 2020, they got to do something to get Trump out of office and get Biden in office. And the George Floyd thing provided a perfect opportunity. I know you watched, I believe you watched the fall of Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts on it? What was your biggest takeaways from it? Floor is yours. Sure. So, I mean, my thoughts were that, to your point, um, 
the media is incredibly powerful with respect to shaping narratives, right? So again, let's start top line. No one wanted to see George Floyd die. And anytime any person dies, it, it, you know, George Floyd was a father, he was a son, he was a brother. So I'm sure his, I have no doubt his family cared for him. And, and I don't gloat over his death and, and I'm, not, I'm not happy that he passed away. But the, the media narrative piece comes in because um, what we were told as the public is this was a public lynching. Um, that that this was, you know, I'm sure this was compared to, to Emmett Till, that Derek Chauvin was a racist police officer who had ill intent. Right? I, I even read that, that Chauvin knew George Floyd from when he was a bouncer and, and they had a run in together. I read all sorts of stuff in the media. Um, and that race played a critical role in the police's response. And what you see with the larger video is that one, George Floyd was clearly agitated when, when the police first approached him. Right. He could not follow simple commands from the officers. Um, I'm actually surprised by their level of restraint, given his agitation and noncompliance. Um, and then, you know, they, they took measures to try to revive him after he had stopped breathing. Now, I will say this. It was interesting to me in the beginning of the doc that they had that full video from the time that the police officer approached his car, but did not include the time that you know, from the time that Chauvin first put his knee on on the back of George Floyd's body. Um, that was a strange omission to me, because in that moment, then you start to get into very precise, um, you know, almost uh, surgical arguments about is a knee on the neck? Is, is it on the upper back? Is it on the shoulder? Um, how how much force is being applied? Is it compressing the neck? Is it resting on the neck? Uh, and then from there, you get into precise legal arguments about different charges, third degree murder, second degree murder, manslaughter, you know, involuntary manslaughter. You know, I, I'm not a legal expert, so I won't get into that. So that, that was an interesting omission to me. So so I think if, if George Floyd's case was handled in the media, um, with the type of care that this documentary took in terms of showing different size, competing autopsies um, and, and medical examinations, I think we would have a much different, different perspective on that case. Still a tragedy that he died, but the, the, the notion that this was some racist lynching uh, because the police were just out to kill a black man that day, I don't think would have been as firmly sort of saturated throughout the culture as it ended up being in 2020. So as it relates to the knee on the neck, back, shoulder, whatever, I think they offered indisputable evidence that this is what they were trained to do. And Mm -hmm. so I think the proper charges is wrongful death, the city pays for bad policing techniques that were taught to the officers, they put Derek Chauvin and all these people in a bad position. And so George Floyd's family, in my view, has a case against the city. Criminal charges against, and most in particular, these other three officers. Right. Just incredible. Guy's third shift as a police officer, and he's rotting in prison? Are you kidding me? And so I thought the MRT deal that everybody agrees there's pictures of, this is how they were trained, they did what they were trained to do, and then some incompetence or errors. Because 
I could see Derek Chauvin doing the MRT move and saying, mm -hmm. well, paramedics will be here in 90 seconds. They're just a few blocks away. And because of some confusion, miscommunication, paramedics don't show, and you end up being in that position for eight minutes. And, and you, I could see someone losing track of time and all this other stuff. I think the case is against the city, not against the police officers who did what they apparently were told to do. So, so that was compelling video when the when you saw the chief and and some other person from the city say, um, "No, we chief don't train inspector. them on MRT." Right, 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 right. And then and then the officer said, "No, no, we definitely get the training here, the slides." I will say this though, um, you can be trained on something and still misuse it, right? So, so George Floyd's um, agitation and noncompliance actually, I think, makes this argument. Because if for 26 minutes he's, oh, Mr. Officer, Mr. Officer, I, I can't breathe, Mama, so on and so forth, right? And, and and he's doing that as Derek Chauvin is kneeling on him at the point where he stops talking and it tails off. Then you could say, OK, now it's time to get up because the, the whole it's a restraint technique. And again, I'm not a police officer, so officers can speak to how this is used. But you can't say, well, we've been trained on it. So then basically, you know, I'm going to kneel on the guy's back or neck for the next hour and a half and just say, whoa, it was training. Well, you, you restrain someone so that they are no longer a threat to themselves or the other officers. At the point that that person is not a threat, then you should probably get up. And whether it's seven minutes and 46 seconds, eight minutes and 23 seconds, nine minutes and 15 seconds, um, I, I think it's reasonable to ask whether it was a point prior to that that Derek Chauvin could have said, all right, I, I think he's calm now. He's calmed down. Let me get up and let's try to get this guy into the ambulance whenever it gets here, so on and so forth. But I, I don't think the, the training that, I don't think the excuse or the, the justification that that was part of our training is enough to say, well, then anything we do, anything we do with that particular move, um, we should be able to justify based on that fact. I would agree. I think there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking going on in terms of everybody said, well, you know, I, I, I ran a stopwatch on this and Derek Chauvin should have been running a stopwatch when he and every, this is like standard. First of all, the exact same thing happened to George Floyd in 2019. Uh, and, and they rushed him to the hospital. His blood pressure, you know, is out of control or, or whatever in 2019 and save him. But, but and again, I'm not trying to cape up for Derek Chauvin. I'm just trying to be realistic and honest here. You use a technique and you, well, we've called EMS and standard operating procedures here. They'll be here in two minutes. Mm. You have those expectations. Mm. People are yelling and screaming. It's chaotic. I can see someone losing track of time and thinking, hold on, you know, this should have been over three minutes ago, even though you're not keeping a time clock. And so, again, the case is against the city, in my view, and, and these other three officers. Like, oh, my God, I just. But, Delano, last thing I want to ask you about, mm -hmm. the minister shouting out uh, the gangs. That mm -hmm. blew my mind to some degree, but did not surprise me in, in other aspects. The criminal justice system and the activist movement is 
run by a criminal element. And I think that minister shouting mm-hmm. out the gangster disciples, vice lords and bloods uh, hammers that point. Yeah, that, that was interesting. Honestly, when I heard that, I had to take a quick second to say, well, are we talking about Minneapolis or Chicago? Because I didn't even know that GDs were in Minneapolis. Um, so that, that was a strange, uh, to your point, shout out at a, at a funeral service. Um, but but yeah, the, like the, the entire activist class, they, they look for black men to use for this particular purpose. And I've said on the show before, the left sees black men as useful for three primary reasons. Our votes so that they can get political power, um, our sperm so that they can procreate, and our corpses so they can fuel their activism. Um, and, and two of those things, particularly in 2020, directly fed into one another in terms of the activism and the election. So yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised by that because a lot of these ministers I think are corrupt anyway and they don't, they're not gospel preaching or Bible teaching. But I will say this, because you, t- you talked about the case was against the city. Um, the mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Fry, is one of the most ineffectual, cowardly, effete, um, you know, moist public officials that I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I remember Jason 2020. I don't know if you remember this you happening. You could have tightened it up and just called him Zesty uh, Delano. <laughs> just, fair, fair enough. But um, he, he went to a BLM rally in Minneapolis. And he was basically, they, they had the person who was up on the platform looking down on him and basically saying, do you pledge to defund the police? And I guess because a broken clock is right twice a day, he said, are you talking about completely dismantling the police officer? Yes. And he said, no, I can't. I can't do that. And they said, well, get the F out of here. And they made him take the walk of shame. And I said, what kind of person does this in his own city? So the fact that he he, he told his administration told the law enforcement to stand down and allow their precinct to be overtaken to me just speaks to the lack of leadership in that city. And really, honestly, Dark Knight Rises, uh, the, the final in that Christopher Nolan uh, trilogy of Batman films was about eight years too early because what you saw in 2020 was what you saw in that film in terms of when when law enforcement is removed from the picture and, and the inmates run the asylum and anarchy is allowed to spread, you see the type of chaos and disorder that you get in the city. And th- that was one of the things that I took away when I, when I saw um, this documentary. Delano, have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, Thank you, Enjoy too, your family. Uh, don't overeat too much or overeat. I can't overeat. You can't. Bye.